Ugh, you're the worst. You're the worst. You're the worst. You're the worst. You are the worst. Hey, you do not get to call Britta the worst. Good morning and welcome to episode 104 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller. Still in Tyler, Texas, in case you're wondering. Um, and in New York, New York is Ben Lindbergh. How are you, Ben? All right. How is day two in Tyler? The same. So Russell Carlton wrote a piece for us on Monday uh, called There is No Unicorn, and it was about what he perceives to be a pervasive negativeness by baseball fans toward every move that their team ever makes. Um, he uh, sums it up, I think, uh, with perhaps my favorite sentence, which is... Uh, well, I don't know where it is. You've not committed it to memory. No, I'm going to just read a paragraph. Oh, okay. the sentence that I like ends this paragraph. What fascinates me is that when teams make the big or little move, it's rare to find any fans of the team who are happy and content about the move. What's even more interesting is that for the trades that have gone down, it seems that both sides are sad about their team's relative position afterward. Had the four-way deal that was supposed to happen at the winter meetings happened, most baseball fans would be an inconsolable mess at this point. I have asked you to uh, to come up with your three least favorite moves this year, limited to free agent signings or player extensions, mm -hmm. uh, because I want to see what uh, whether we agree. Okay. And um, because I think it's a good time to to do that, we're midway through the offseason, mm -hmm. and I figure we will otherwise talk about whether we agree with the impression that Russell has and whether there is any reason for it. Mm -hmm. I personally will start, though, by saying that I think that he exaggerates the problem somewhat. Um, I think that... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really like the article and all the, the arguments that he, uh, that he came up with that, that I have seen used before. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, there have certainly been recent trades that people have been happy about i mean i'm sure you can find some fans on on each side of of most deals that aren't happy with them but i've certainly spoken to people who are happy about transactions that have taken place this winter um i guess maybe the the fact that the market has changed uh as far as how much people are getting paid has kind of affected people's reactions a bit if their expectations for salaries haven't haven't kind of inflated along with the market then there might be a tendency to think that every move is an overpay uh which is probably not the case because if every move is an overpay then you just kind of have to adjust your expectations i i would imagine that that's probably though been a case for, for many years where the public perception mm -hmm. never quite catches up to baseball inflation mm -hmm. there was a nice period in the uh, mid-aughts when inflation seemed to stop right. for a few years and at that point it seemed like there were uh, a lot more good moves being made mm -hmm. in the public opinion mm -hmm. um and then around i don't know maybe 2000 well i guess by about 2009 the um uh the, maybe the people had started to get a little too greedy and it seemed like once again every move was being ripped although maybe that was just the case that uh, Twitter had come on by then I think that um, last year it seemed to me that there was a, uh, a more a, a sort of a more knee-jerk negative reaction to moves than there is this year it seems like this year 
there's been a backlash to the backlash. And uh, so I haven't felt quite so scolded mm-hmm. by people who are against everything. Um, last year, I thought there were um, a lot of moves that were criticized and I was baffled because I could only think of one move I didn't like last year, which was the Aaron Harang signing mm-hmm. by the Dodgers. And I particularly remember the day that the Dodgers signed uh, Chris Capuano for, I believe, two years and $9 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the outrage was very loud and uh, seemed to be quite unanimous. And I couldn't figure out why because uh, Capuano was being paid to replicate something like a quarter of what he had done the previous year, which seems like a, a fair thing to do. I think that that is maybe the the largest, um, I don't know, that maybe the, the, the single largest reason for people to react negatively to trades is the idea that teams are paying uh, for the player's best year. And mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think that that usually happens. Even if the player had a an, an out-of-his-norm good year the previous season, you rarely get paid, I think, uh, full value for that last season. Like I, I think that there's a fear, for instance, that Kyle Loge is going to get paid based on this year exclusively, and what he's actually going to get paid is probably like 60% of his value from this year. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyway, we gonna are we ready to pick our ready pick to, our... to Rick? Yeah, sure. Do you have do you have, do you have three moves? Yes. That you don't like. Mm-hmm. All right. I do too. So what's what's your number three? Well, I feel like the first one is kind of a gimme. We've we've talked about it before, but the Brandon League deal. Well, that was my number one. Okay, yeah, yes. I figured we'd just get that out of the way. Uh, and I don't know if that fits exactly under any of Russell's uh, archetypical arguments. I mean, he has the uh, if your team just signed a decent reliever, you can always point out that your team needs a proven proven closer argument, which is. Um, I mean, that's not exactly the argument that we have uh, against the the Brandon League deal, but in a way it is, because we're basically saying that he is not so good that he should be paid like a proven closer, I suppose, Um, which he was, pretty much. Yeah, I think the devastating thing about the league move is um, that, well, it was signed very early in the offseason, as though it were anticipating great salary inflation or something like that, and I think that what's been devastating for it as though it's the dodgers and they just don't don't care yeah yeah well that too (laughs) since then a number of relievers have signed for much more reasonable deals we talked about uahara i think mike adams signing this uh weekend for two years and 12 million puts Mm -hmm. the league move in stark contrast i mean mike adams has just been uh, so much so much better than league Mm -hmm. over the last few years and to sign for a shorter commitment and for less dollars per is, you know, that's a big deal. And uh, Santiago Casilla just signed an extension. He's not a free agent, and he won't be for another year, but he just signed an extension that's considerably less than league as well. And he's also, I would say, outpitched league uh, over the past few years. And so I think that there's, um, it's, it's, it might be often unfair to criticize reliever contracts, but in this case, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one. Uh, I guess my second one, which I wrote about last week, is Kevin Correa. Hey, that's my too. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so Kevin Correa signing for two years and, and $10 million with the Twins, which just, uh, I mean, Kevin Correa is just not very good. Uh, I don't 
know how much deeper we have to get into it. He's a pitcher who, for his career, according to our numbers, has been replacement level, uh, has been below replacement level for the past three seasons. This is the most money that he has ever made for a season. Um, his last contract was for two years and $8 million, and then he was just not very good for either of those seasons, and yet he got another two-year deal for even more money. Um, so, I mean, I guess if you're the Twins, you kind of just need someone to start because you will forfeit otherwise. Uh, but just uh, why Kevin Correa, I guess? He just, I mean, he is the typical Twins pitcher who doesn't strike out anyone and has decent control and doesn't throw hard and is a, a veteran guy. But I just, uh, I don't know. I don't see it why you would ever really want to sign Kevin Correa unless it were extremely short and and cheap. Yeah, it seems like it used to be a kind of well-understood idea that um, that players who were kind of in that Kevin Correa middle level where they're like veterans but they're only worth a win or two are kind of always overpaid because they're, you know, they're so close to replacement level that you really, with a little creativity, you you really should be able to, to find something like that for free. And Correa is actually below that. I mean, Correa is, uh, I mean, I, I just, I can't, I, I, I would imagine that there are probably, um, I don't know, 40 starters in AAA who are like journeyman starters mm-hmm. who are as good as Kevin Correa right now. Yeah. And it's amazing. Two <laughs> years. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like you don't want him. To, you don't want to sign Kevin Cray and have him walk away after a year. I mean, once you're, <laughs> once you once you get your your claws in Kevin Cray, you can't let go. Right. <laughs> yeah. I that when the Pirates signed him, um, I was baffled then as well. And um, the the explanation at the time was that he was going to provide good mentorship mm. for their young pitchers, um, which was amusing because at the time they didn't. Uh, seemed to really have a lot of young pitchers um, who were, you know, had any sort of upside. Although maybe that's why Correa was a nice fit for them because um, he also didn't have much. He could counsel them in saving their money, for instance, and, you know, like taking advantage of the per diem because mm-hmm. you wouldn't have this forever. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's possible that Kevin Correa has some, like, incredible reputation within the game. Like, like maybe, maybe he's. Like, pitching coach and training or something and, right. and everybody knows this but but we don't yeah so that's i guess that's a possibility um i think it was interesting that you noted in the transaction analysis this that correa was being like sort of actively shopped by, <laughs> by the pirates. pirates who were trying to win for once and and we're ad pitching right <laughs> <laughs> and, and so as they were trying to add pitching they were also trying to dump correa <laughs> and they couldn't um, yeah, so. no, it seems to me that there's every, every off season, there's at least one case where there's a guy who in like July at the trade deadline, or maybe in August during the waiver claim period has absolutely no interest at all. Like no team wants him. He clears waivers. Um, you know, he's just, he's just considered dead weight. And then like he becomes a free agent and all of a sudden he gets like three. <laughs> yeah. He's, he has struck out a, a batter every other inning for the last couple seasons. I guess he gets some grounders, but 
I don't know. There's nothing to recommend Kevin Correa to me. No, he was an all-star, though, in 2011. He was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, there's an entire there's absolutely certainly a entire topic idea in uh, in Pirates All Stars. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, because it's a spectacular list. <laughs> do you know who it's, or should we actually do a topic on that, or do you happen to to know some of the other ones? Um, I feel like it's like. Uh, pretty good relievers some years yeah or pretty yeah some or pretty bad ones yeah uh, (laughs) i actually i do have a list are you ready i am ready yes all right so this is since since 1990 um since 1994 okay so i'm gonna start i'll start going oh the great wow this is the great i don't even i feel like you might have misstated this actually in the transaction analysis. What? Korea actually was one of three all-stars for the Pirates. Oh, yeah? I didn't even look. I just said it's good to be a Pirate. Yeah. And to be an all-star. I, I didn't realize he wasn't the only one, though. Yeah, no, so, in fact, they have only had multiple all From 1994 to, to 2010, they only had multiple all-stars three times. Uh-huh. That's a 17-year period where they had uh, one all-star per year. Uh-huh. So uh, this year was Hanrahan and, and McCutcheon. Last year was Hanrahan, McCutcheon, and Correa. 2010, Evan Meek. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> 2009, Zach Duke and Freddie Sanchez. <laughs> 2007, Freddie Sanchez. 2006, Bay and Sanchez. This is kind of their golden era. <laughs> Jason Bay. Mm-hmm. 2004, Jack Wilson. 2003, Mike Wilson. I believe that was the year he had the 7 ERA. Mm-hmm. 2002, did I say Mike Wilson? Yes, you did. Uh, of course, I meant Mike Williams. Mm-hmm. 2002, Mike Williams. 2001, Brian Giles. 2000, Jason Kendall. 1999, Ed Sprague. Mm-hmm. 1998, Jason Kendall. 1997, Tony Womack. <laughs> that is a distinguished company. Denny Nagel and 1994, Carlos Garcia. <laughs> The funny part was that, well, one of the funny parts was that Korea wasn't even good in that first half. It wasn't like he had some fluky first half that gets him into the All-Star game and then he fell apart. He had a four ERA and struck out under five guys per inning. And I I haven't looked, but I'm assuming he was like a replacement for a replacement for a replacement or something. He was probably there to, to, to mentor the young <laughs> Right. He was charting pitches or something. So the list I just read of players, I, I wonder if you actually looked at... I mean, Bay and Giles kind of mess up the, the numbers a little bit. I wonder if you turned that into a team <laughs> uh, and, and only included the all-star numbers that they had. I wonder if that team would be like an 87 <laughs> team. <laughs> I look forward to your unfiltered post on that topic. Uh, the Kevin Correa disastrous signing easily made fun of. Yes, and there aren't that many easily made fun of signings anymore, I feel like. Or at least you and I kind of go out of our way to try to figure out what a team was thinking or in what way it might have made sense. Uh, so we don't often do the just knee-jerk, that-was-stupid reaction. But uh, once in a while, there's a, a Kevin Correa where I feel pretty comfortable Saying that that was a mistake. Yeah. Do you feel the same way, just out of curiosity? I, I mean, I certainly don't, but how do you feel about Mike Pelfrey? Um, 
Yeah, I I don't feel quite the same way. What what was the what were the terms? Uh, um, well, it was one year and I don't know. Let me think. All right. Well, I mean, the one year thing. Four million. Wow. Less than uh, less than Kevin Gray. <laughs> Uh, like, when the Angels signed Jared Weaver to the extension, like there was this fear that they could never sign anybody more expensive than Weaver, and like Weaver's cost was actually like he took a hometown discount. It's like they had to get CJ Wilson like just under the wire, and like would they be able to give Zach Granke enough without offending Jared? So maybe Kevin Correa is like now the, the <laughs> can't insult in Minnesota. Yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not much better in that he when healthy was kind of a Correa-like pitcher who didn't strike out anyone and had not bad control and got some grounders. Um, but coming off of Tommy John surgery, I guess that could be the reason why he didn't get a Correa contract and maybe he would have otherwise. Uh, so I don't know. I don't like that one exactly, but doesn't quite provoke the, the same mockery. All right, so what's your last bad move? Uh, my last one, which I don't think we ever talked about, was the Shane Victorino deal uh, oh, yeah, to the Red good. Sox. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, and I don't even know how much to get into it right now because we got a good podcast question uh, about what the Red Sox have done this offseason, which I wanted to get to, and probably tomorrow we will get to because it's the email show. Um, unless you want to get to it now. But that was just a, a deal that, uh, I mean, I guess it fit into Russell's uh, first thing. If your team has signed a free agent, remember that the free agent is probably old in baseball terms. He's likely on the wrong side of 30 and past his prime or in decline. Uh, ignore the fact that past his prime and useless are not the same thing. The fact that he will not repeat his glory years means that the world is about to end. Um, so, yeah, he's what, 32-ish, and coming off a pretty lousy year, and is basically a platoon guy, and unless Ellsbury is traded, he will be playing a corner where his bat will look even worse, and they gave him three years and $39 million, which kind of kind of seems like a lot and confused me because I'm not sure what their philosophy is right now, but that is... A longer topic yeah well I mean uh, yeah I could see that and and I think the thing that is a, a bit damning for that is that it, it really felt like the market value I mean we don't know these discussions but it really felt like there weren't other teams lining up to give him close to that like like there was a there maybe was, reportedly there was an Indians offer for four years and 40 million uh-huh um, um yeah, well, and I guess what I mean to say is not that they had. I, I mean, they maybe they had to bid that. Maybe they bid a penny more than the second best team. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it seemed like there were kind of baseball insiders who, after that move, were kind of baffled and said, you know, I wouldn't have given them, you know, half that or mm -hmm. whatever. Like, like there was a. a I, I got the sense that there were uh, many opinions within the game that thought that that was crazy, and so that was sort of a significant thing to me but um you know i mean victorino is uh he is not a guy who was bad before this year no and um you know he was we, very good in 2011 yeah I, I mean i feel like like the like part of what russell was getting at is also 
kind of shows up in the way that if, if you sign somebody who had a good year, you're buying high. And if you're signing somebody who had a bad year, you're, you're signing a guy who's trending downward. Like right. either way, you lose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Victorino, it, I, I mean, a year ago, this would have been a, you know, this would have been a, a great move. And so why isn't this just buying low? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess because his age. I also, I mean, I do sort of feel like like late bloomers worry me because I think they tend to be a little bit earlier. Like like the later you bloom, I think the 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 shorter your uh-huh. your career parabola is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I mean, it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me if Victorino was was you know like out of the game by the end of this contract. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's certainly a track record of success. I don't hate it. Did I just ruin email Wednesday? Uh, no. I think we can talk about that tomorrow. Um, okay. Well, so my we actually have a different third move. So what's yours? Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not that confident about it. I, I my third move would just be Josh Hamilton because uh-huh. I mean I was I was waiting to be flabbergasted by some team giving him as much as the Angels gave him, mm-hmm. and some team did, and it surprises me. It feels like uh, Hamilton. This is a combination of both overrating what he's done and underrating the amount of risk he he carries with him. And it just feels to me like one of those things like every fantasy owner knows that you, you know, like the idea that you can't win your draft in the first round, but you can lose it. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's so much downside. He, Hamilton is just, have I been saying Hamilton? I feel like I might've said Granky. <laughs> uh, I don't think I heard you say Granky. All right. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, Hamilton just feels like a guy who's, uh, he's sort of the rare guy who has more you know, downside than upside that you're spending all that money on so but i'm not totally convinced about that and i'm not totally convinced that it matters for the angels right um, but i like and i uh, it's, it's a move i dislike okay yeah I, I guess i don't know maybe my expectations for hamilton were anchored by his initial uh rumored demands to such an extent that when i started hearing that teams were going to hold the line at four years um I don't know. It it just it didn't shock me that he got that much, and and in fact, probably I would have predicted that he would get more uh, in years, at least at the beginning of the winter, maybe, or or certainly during the season. Um, so I don't love it. I've I've written about how I don't think Hamilton is that great a, a bet to age well, as has everyone else in the world. Uh, so I don't love it, but I guess. I kind of don't hate it just in the sense that if the Angels can afford it and really want to compete right now, then it helps them do that. And maybe it doesn't even matter, as you wrote in your transaction analysis, that they probably overpaid. Um, But yeah, I I guess I, I dislike it for the same reasons that you do. Yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a move where I would you know call for the GM to be fired or anything right. like that. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just not a move I like. I mean, we we talked I think early on. We both predicted, or we didn't predict. Uh, we both said what we would be comfortable giving Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And so you might have been anchored by the seven and one seventy five that he was demanding. I think I was kind of anchored by the numbers that we had, which were like something like twenty million guaranteed, and anything over that we were going to be worried. Yeah, and so it's. Uh, it's a lot more than that. I feel like but, there's certain signings that leave you with a good feeling about the signing and some that don't. And that was just one that never was going to for pretty much whatever he was going to go for. You just weren't going to feel good about that or you weren't going to feel like, I mean, not that free agency is about getting undervalued 
players or about getting good deals. It's usually about paying a lot of money for people. Uh, but sometimes with some players, you just get the feeling that they're going to go for less than they're worth or more than they're worth, and you're just not going to like the move regardless of who actually signs the player. And, and even if they have a lot of money to sign the player, you're just not going to feel like it was good. And Hamilton was one that just was never going to leave uh, sabermetric sort of people feeling good about the deal that his new team got. You know, next year we should we should find like a sample of 50 people and uh, like ask them before the offseason whether, you know, they think that he'll be overpaid or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then ask them afterward whether they think that was overpaid. I don't mm -hmm. really know. I haven't formulated this survey yet. <laughs> but I yeah, like I imagine that a lot of times what you're really just reflecting is that you have a negative opinion about the guy yeah, and much. you just sort of carry that negative opinion mm -hmm. until he signs. Yes. Um, and Victorino probably last year, like another reason that last year this signing would have been okay is that people liked Victorino a year ago mm -hmm. and he just kind of got old this year. Mm -hmm. Anyway. All right. So that's our three, four, four, four. Those are our four bad moves that we are willing to say were bad. Yes. Everybody else was. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, well, we'll do it for episode 104. We'll be back tomorrow. Send your emails to podcast at baseballperspectus.com, and we will answer them. 